Good. Do you want to just talk to your neighbour again for like another minute? Because I just need another minute to uh, work out what I'm going to say. <coughs> not jokes. Lynn's panicking. It's not true. I know almost what I'm going to say. Um, uh, thank you very much for uh, standing up before. I was very aware that you guys had to stand the whole time that they were praying for us, um, which is a long time. So thank you very much for that. I was watching to see if anyone sat down when Glenn gave you the out. Yeah, who's, who's not into this? But Jared, did. I expected that. Actually, I wanted to too, but I didn't. I thought that would be a bad look. Um, uh, is everybody clear on what an executive pastor does? I only ask because I did something during the week, and I had a meeting with, with Sean and Nikki, the host team leaders, and I went home, and Liz said, what did you do today? And I said, I had a meeting with Sean and Nikki, and she said, why? And I said, oh, we talked about this, and we talked about that, and she said, oh, is that what you do? And I was like, what do you mean is that what I do? Like, we, you've been in this conversation for the last couple of months. I said, you know what I do? I said, you got a letter. We were one of the lucky ones. And she said, no, it just says you do systems. I don't know what that means. She said, you should tell the church what you do, because I bet you they don't know. And I was like, all right then. Just as well, I'm in charge of communications as well. So to sort of, it's really simple, but I had a meeting with Sean and Nikki, who are the host team leaders, and basically I asked them questions like, hey, what can we improve on? What systems are we using to, to get the host team running? You know, how do you use rosters? What can I help with? You know, what do you need? And so they were like, well, we do this and we do that, and what are your thoughts about this? And, oh, do you know what would be handy would be if we could get a logo for our cool folders. We've got these swanky folders we're looking to make up for our host team. A Thrive logo would be great. And I was like, I can do that. So then I come back and I talk with Connor and I say, look, they need a logo. Can you design it, Connor? Because you're awesome at it. And so Connor does and they get their logo. And they say, oh, do you know what else we need is we need some more people on our host team. Who do you think we could use? And I said, let me talk to Jared. See if you've got some young people involved. So then I talk to Jared and say, is there anyone that could help with setting up chairs? And Jared's like, oh, I've got like two or three people off the bat. So then I say, great, you talk to Sean and Nikki. And I'm just sort of in the background helping make things work a little bit better. And it's stuff that you don't want your senior pastors doing because, to be honest, they have better things to do than running around trying to get logos sorted and fixing little problems because you want them fixing your big problems, <laughs> not your little ones. Um, help, Helping, helping. We're all responsible for our own personal work with God. There you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, you want them, they're responsible for the vision of the church, for the feel of the church, for the, the macro type of thing, and then the micro little bits and pieces that they really don't want to do and have been trying to find someone to do for the last year or so I am now doing. So that's what I do. If it comes down to the way that we do things as a church, then often my hand's in there. You're not going to notice too much different on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm still involved in the worship team, but you might notice a little bit different in the, in the way that we do things. That's what I do. All the stuff that Glenn and Deb don't want to do gets, gets handed on to my plate. Yeah, so there you go. Um, I thought what I'd talk about this morning, I had trouble trying to, I had so much going on in my head uh, that I really struggled to isolate down to what I was going to talk about. And so in the end, I thought what I'd do is I would just share with you what God is talking to me about that I'm doing wrong in my life. And then you could see if it applies to, to your life. And if it does, awesome. And if it doesn't, then you can come and give me some counseling afterwards because you've obviously got things figured out better than I have. Um, I always think it's better if someone shares from a place of you know, experience rather than you know, something they've read about or heard of. So um, I want to talk to you this morning about busyness and being unhealthily busy. 
because it's a fine line that I think we all walk, especially in this day and age. You know, we've got iPhones and iPads and internet and Facebook and TV and radio and work and all this sort of stuff. I mean, you're not supposed to text in the car when you drive, but sometimes you just have to. It feels like. You know, I, I heard a guy on the radio the other day, and he said, how often do you pull up to the traffic lights and you look to the left and your right and the people in the car are like this? And you know what they're doing. They're texting. But, but, I mean, I don't know why it has to be done right then and there, but we all do. I've got a Haytel app on my phone, so I can use it like a walkie-talkie, and I think that's a grey area while you're driving. I'm not sure. It's still your cell phone, but it's not texting. Um, but we can be very, very busy, and so it's something that God's been talking to me about being too busy. I have the potential to have a very busy life. I've got three kids under the age of four. I've got a wife who has three kids under the age of four. And uh, a wife with three kids, it's like, opportunity for extra love to be given there when you've got a wife with three kids under four. Um, i got three businesses that I'm running, one successfully, one neutral, one unsuccessfully. All three add up to the same revenue as one business, so I don't know why I have three. Um, you know, heavily involved in church, now executive pastor. We also run a small group. We're on the leadership team. I'm heavily involved in the worship team. Um, I'm trying to get together like a sports team that plays on Saturdays, which I'm running. We're trying to subdivide some land, and we're trying to sort out whether we're going to build or relocate or reassemble a flat pack house on that, which is not a lot of work, but very emotionally um, time-consuming. So there's the potential for me to be very, very busy. Um, and I had this thought the other day. Actually, it was weird. Normally when God talks to me, he just says it straight up, like, hey, this is what the deal is. But this time he, he asked permission to talk to me. It was like he said, hey, I've got, when you've got time, um, I've got something I'd like to talk about. And it, it never occurred to me that he had phrased it that way, but I put him off for like a month until I got some free time. And I was like, okay, what does he want to talk about? He's like, you're too busy. Um, actually, what he said was, he said this scary thing. He said, the way you are living your life is not sustainable, is what he said to me. Um, and it was just after I'd started really getting my teeth into what I was doing here at church. And I'm the sort of person that I see a new challenge and I just throw myself into it. And so I was putting a lot of time and effort into it, well above what I had agreed I would do. Um, and of course, if I'm giving a whole day of my week to church here, then I'm a day behind in everything else. So I've got to catch up and he said, the way you're living your life is not sustainable. And then he said something else too. He said, you are confusing activity with productivity. Um, and in the Western world, we very often get busyness and success mixed up. And we think that if we're busy, then we must be successful. Um, if I go and do a quote at someone's house, and I'm measuring up their floor and I'm making polite chit-chat, nine times out of ten, they will say to me, are you busy? And what they're saying is, are you successful? Are you good at what you do? Do you have a lot of work on? Have I made the right decision in calling you? Do you have experience? Do you do this a lot? Are you busy? Are you successful? And because I know that's what they're asking, I know that they're not genuinely concerned about how much free time I have. Um, because I know they're saying that, I will respond like, oh, flat out. Um, because I know that if I say no, I don't have any work on. You're the first person to call me in a week. Matt's mowed my lawns three times <laughs> since Tuesday. I know that if I say that, they're going to go, oh. Because they're not asking if I'm busy. They're asking if I'm successful. So I say I'm flat out, which means, yes, I am successful. I do this all the time. I've got a lot of experience. You've made the right decision calling me. I'm a busy man. Um, 
And it's okay in a certain, to a certain degree to do that in business because in business, the busier you are, normally it means you've got more work on, which means you are making more money. So in business, busyness, which is essentially business, is, is a good thing. But what happens is that I had been taking that, that concept of busy is successful and I'd been applying it to my personal life um, and my life outside of work. Um, and what was happening was that people would say to me, how are you going? And I'd be like, oh, so busy. And I started to think, well, God started to ask me why I would say that. And I'd be like, well, I'd say it because I am busy. And he pointed out that when I said I was busy, there was a feeling in me almost like, this is going to make me look bad. Um, so it's a good thing you've already agreed that I'm your executive pastor. Um, there was a feeling in me that came up almost like pride, I would say. Like, I am busy, and that's, I'm proud that I'm busy because I must be doing well if I'm busy. But once I dialed down into it, what I meant was I am proud that I feel needed is what I meant. What I meant was when I said I'm busy, what I meant was so many people need me is what I meant. And that made me feel good. But that's really unhealthy um, because the truth is that being consistently busy, and I'm talking about the difference between a busy life and a busy lifestyle. So your lifestyle is the style that you live your life, the way you choose to live your life, your rhythms, your routines. It's a consistent and ongoing conscious decision that you make. This is my lifestyle. Um, a busy life happens sometimes. You know, there's practical aspects where you have times in your life when you are busy. Like we've got three kids. They can't do anything themselves. You know, eating dinner takes like forever. You're like, put the food down, and Harrison's like, I don't love that. So, well, you know, you loved it last night and the night before. I mean, maybe we shouldn't have served you the same meal three days in a row, but still, you know, and he won't eat it and say, there's, we've got charts on the fridge. If you eat all your dinner, you get a star, and it takes like an hour and a half to eat dinner. And this is embarrassing, but I used to eat my dinner in an ad break on TV. We'll sit down and watch TV. Everybody would come on, <laughs> carry on. That's unhealthy. This is probably better, but it takes so long. And then you've got to give them a bath, and then you've got to put them to bed, and then they get out of bed, go back to bed, get out of bed, go back to bed, get out of bed. The other day, Harrison, they've got to be careful, and lovely kid that he is, he didn't go to sleep until one in the morning. And we were just like, oh my gosh, and then just gets up at six. And so there's busy times in your life, but there's a difference between a busy life and a busy lifestyle. Um, and so God was talking to me about this, and I had that, that phrase ringing around in my head, you know, um, the way you're living is not sustainable. And so I said, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with that information? And he said, look, you need to reprioritize. You're putting too much focus in areas, uh, in some areas, and not enough focus in other areas. And I was like, well, what, you know, I sort of, I was lost interest by then. It was too much hard work. And so I was like, oh, worry about this later. You know, what, what areas needs more focus? I don't know. I've got so many things to worry about. Went up to conference, um, and... <laughs> God, he was as subtle as a brick. He hit me over the head with a two-by-four. So I'm up in conference, and I've got this rolling around in my head. My life's unsustainable. I need to make changes. What changes do I need to make? Which areas do I need to put more attention into? And we're up at conference, and this lady gets up, and she says this first of all. She says, beware the barrenness of busyness. And I'm like, what? 
That's like just to me. And then she tells her story, and I'll give you the short version, but you need to get the long version because it's amazing. Her and her husband had been married for 17 years, and they had three kids between the ages of 10 and 15. They were both in ministry. They'd been Christians all their life. They were pastors of their church. They were well-known in the community. They were doing awesome. Their marriage was great. Uh, her parents owned a cable TV network, so her and her husband had their own Christian show on the TV channel that would go around the States once a, a week or whatever. Things were awesome, but they were so busy, so, so busy, and they didn't realize how busy they were. They didn't realize that their busy life had become a busy lifestyle, and it had been going on for a long, long time. Um, and they had this young guy coming to their church who noticed her a little bit, and he'd make comments like, man, you work hard. I hope people appreciate you. The short version of the story is that she had an affair with him. It only lasted two weeks, and she confessed everything, and it almost destroyed their marriage, as you can imagine. And then a month afterwards, she found out she was pregnant with this guy's kid. Um, and so they're up on stage telling their story together. It's 10 years later now. So this young kid is 10 years old, and they've repaired everything. And now they travel around the world telling their story and, and, and giving advice and stuff. And I was so affected by it because it was like God held up a crystal ball and said, look, this is, this is you and in, in 10 years' time. So much of their life was consistent with Liz and me. They had three kids. We got three kids. Um, they'd been married for 17 years. In 10 years' time, we'll be married for 17 years. Um, we're the same age as they would be in, you know, when we get to that point. Their kids are the same age that our kids would be. He was really good looking. Um, they had... <laughs> They had, you know, they were involved in ministry. And I looked at it and I just thought, gee, you know, like there but for the grace of God go I. Um, and it was like this mirror got held up and it was like this, this, is, this could so easily happen if you don't guard against busyness. And I was like, all right, God, I got the message. And then she said this. She said, it wasn't that we had a bad marriage. I mean, we loved each other, but I just felt unloved, unappreciated, and undervalued. And I was like, what? Because... That, the morning that I left for conference, Liz and I had had a bit of an um, argument, discussion, yes, discussion. Um, she was stressed out because I was going away for four days and she had the three kids and I was stressed out because I was going up to pastor's conference and it was bringing up insecurities in me like I'm not a real pastor, I'm just pretending to be a pastor, I've got no qualifications, no experience and I just don't want to do it. Not the pastoring but go up to the conference. So we were in a bit of a mood and, um, and I hadn't packed because I wasn't organised from like throwing undies and socks into the suitcase while we're like, you know, having this discussion. Um, and at one point in the discussion, Liz said, she said, oh, it's just, sometimes I just feel unloved, unappreciated and undervalued. And so when this lady said those three words, I was like, oh, I need to go home right now. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I was just like, what? That's crazy. Um, and then I had this picture of, sometimes when God talks to me, I get a picture in my head of me doing something. And I had a picture of me getting out of my seat, going up to the front of the end of the message and telling Bob, the guy who'd shared as well, that I really enjoyed the message. And then in the picture, I cried and he gave me a hug. And I was like, oh, shame. No, I don't want to do that. But the message finished, and Glenn was sitting beside me. I was like, Glenn, I've got to go talk to Bob. Please don't watch me do this. Um, I go up to Bob, and you know, normally you go up to a guest speaker, and there's like two or three people hovering around, and they're just like, oh, I just loved your message. And you're like, you're awkwardly sort of waiting for them to finish. And then they're just about finished, and they ask you to pray for their sister, and you're like, oh, come on. And so the guest speaker's praying for them, and you know that he knows that you're there waiting, and you're kind of like, well, how long do I give it before it's like awkward and I just forget about it or what? And normally it's like that, but it wasn't like that. 
So I went up there, and there was one guy who literally, as I got there, he shook his hand and walked off. And so Bob's putting his laptop into his, um, you know, or his, his iPad into his satchel. And so I go up, and I'm like, hey, just wanted to say I really enjoyed your message. And when I said message, my voice kind of cracked and went up. And so it sounded like, I really enjoyed your message. And, like, and this tear came out, and I was like, oh, here we go, just like I foresaw. Um, and he looks at me, and he goes, do you want a hug? And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he gives me this hug, and I'm like, on his shoulder. Like, what am I doing? Where is, what's happening? Why is God making me do this? And, and after like 10 seconds, I become acutely aware that I'm crying on another man's shoulder. <laughs> and he has no idea why I'm doing it. So I thought, he needs context. And so I step back and I'm like, oh, it's, thanks man, it's just, um, I'm married and I've got three kids and before I came here, my wife said that she felt unloved, unvalued, and unappreciated. So just, you know, your message kind of got to me. And he looks at me and he's like, it's okay, man, we can still save your marriage. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? On the inside, I'm like, say what now? But on the outside, I'm like, mm-hmm. And he goes, he goes, he goes, you can still turn this around. And on the inside, I'm like, it was just an argument. But on the outside, not like she cheated on me. Um, but on the outside, <laughs> on the outside, I was like, yeah. And then, and then he says, you got a phone call to make. And on the inside, I was like, well, a text would probably do it. <laughs> but on the, out, on the outside, I'm like, okay. So I like, I like go back. I didn't even text Liz. I was like, that's stupid. Um, but I rang her that night, and I told her what had happened. And she was like, bah, ha, 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 this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Bah. And then I got back, and like Chris came around to pick me up to go to the movies. And before we left, Liz was like, get Josh to tell you what he did at conference. Bah, ha, ha. So I figured, like, you know, it can't, have been, it can't have been that bad. But I kind of was like, okay, God, I get the message. You want me to sort of work on my marriage a little bit more. That's, that's cool. I can do that. And then this other guy got up to speak called Joel Abel, and he had this really brilliant point. He said, when you, if you're so busy, you've got all this stuff to do. He said, you've got to break it into two categories. He said, one category is things that only you can do. Like, no one else in the world can do this apart from you. And then the other category is things that other people could do. Uh, he said, and you've got to make sure that you do everything on the list that only you can do, and you do that first. Because worst case scenario, if something drops off your list, then it's going to be something that somebody else can do. And you can make a phone call, and you can say, hey, I don't have time to do this. Can you help me out? Can you cover for me? Can you step in? Can you do this shift? Can you do this or that? He said, but if you don't prioritize it that way, then if something drops off the bottom of the list, it might be something that only you can do, in which case it's just not going to get done. And so I thought, I thought, that's very wise. So I'm thinking in the context of my work and at church, okay, what can I get Matt to do um, you know, that I don't have to do? Or what can I pass on to Connor or Jared at church and stuff? How would that work? And, and then he says, like, for example, who else can be your wife's husband? And I was like, oh, not again, another marriage thing. And I was like, that's like, it just, it got me. Like he just went in between the armor and it hit me. And then he's like, who else can be your kid's dad? And I realized that, you know, if you throw a blanket over my life, that I was neglecting things that only I can do. And I was instead doing things, you know, like church stuff and work stuff that I could have passed on to somebody else. And so that's how I am now prioritizing my life through those filters. What are the things that only I can do? And the things that only you can do are the things that nine times out of ten they're relational. 
because it's what you as a person bring to a situation. So it's the relationships you have with your spouse or your kids or your friends or your family. Only you can bring that aspect of the relationship. But doing things like tasks and stuff, um, they come they come later. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't think Matt's that stoked to hear me talking like this because it means that I'm going to dump everything that somebody else can do onto Matt. It doesn't mean that you do that, you just dump it onto somebody else, but it means that your priorities are first and foremost, what is it that I'm doing that no one else in the world can do? Uh, and that things that, you know, relationship stuff, so that's cool. Um, and then let me finish with this real quick. This is something that I discovered the other day. Um, this, this sort of busyness, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. It's like a slow process. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, I'm not saying for a second that, that I was worried that Liz was going to cheat on me with a guy half her age, because for a start, he'd be like 12. And that would be ridiculous. But it's, it's, it's something that if left unchecked, you know, the Bible says it's the small foxes that destroy the vine. It's the little things that, that, that eat away piece by piece. You know, there's that old proverb, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's just the little, it's the little things. Um, so I'm not saying that I was worried about that at all. But if, if I carried on the current track that I was on with, you know, and I wasn't being neglectful or anything. I just wasn't as awesome as God has called husbands to be. You know, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loves the church. And if Christ loved me the way that I was loving Liz, then I would have been like, where are you? You're always working or whatever. Or even when you're here, this is the big one, when you're here, you're not here. It's like, you know, she'll say to me, where are you? And I'm like, I'm here. She's like, no, you're not. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know what that means. That's girl talk. That's, you know, woman, woman, woman talk about stuff. And you're like, I don't, I totally misread that. Like she read a book on marriage. And one of the things in the book said sex begins in the kitchen. Well, I tried that and it was totally not what she meant. <laughs> you know, so sometimes women are saying things and they don't mean what you think they're saying. Um, what it meant was, it's, it's like, a, you know, women are like slow cookers and you've got to turn them on in the morning and then they simmer all day and you've got to like check on them every now and again. It's like, <sighs> if Liz is out and there's no food for me, then I would starve to death. So the idea of comparing it to a slow cooker is a terrible analogy because halfway through I'm like, oh, this is too difficult. I'll just go without. Um, where was I? What, what was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah. So the thing that... It's, it's a piece-by-piece piece thing. And I was in bed the other day, and I woke up, and this verse popped into my head. And it was that verse, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That's one of the tenets of this church, life abundantly and overflowing to others. But it was the first part of that verse that was rolling around in my head. And I was like, it's a weird thing to say. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. Like, it, the Bible splits it into three things. But it's like you'd think killing and destroying would be pretty similar. And like, okay, stealing's a little bit different. So I thought, there's something in there. It's intriguing me. So I went and had a look it up. Because when you read it in English, it sounds like a very aggressive strategy. It sounds like it's in your face. The devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. And you're like, ah, you know, fight, fight, fight. You know what's going on. Um, have you ever, has anyone ever been robbed before? It's a horrible feeling. You get home and like stuff's gone from your house and you know straight away. And you're like, I've been robbed. We had a little wee, um, do you remember those discmen they used to have in cars before you had CD headsets? And you'd get a little, a little bit of Velcro and you put it on the bottom, you put a bit of Velcro on your dashboard and you'd stick it on that and then you'd plug a tape into the headphone jack and you'd put the tape into your cassette player and you're like, this, how does this work? This technology is amazing. Um, until you went over a bump and then the music was like, skip, skip. Then they got the next ones, which were like bump resistant. We had one of those in our car, and uh, one day we came out on the drive, and someone had smashed the driver's window and stolen the CD player. 
Um, and we were like, oh no, we've been robbed. Like straight away we knew that we'd been, we'd been ripped off. Um, so when you read the word steal, you think, okay, it's, you know, he's coming to nick stuff from me and kill. It'd be pretty hard for someone to kill you without you realizing it was sort of happening. Um, and then, you know, destroy, that's pretty aggressive as well. So it sounds like you would know what was happening. But when I started to look up the words, it was really interesting. So the devil's ultimate goal is our destruction. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The end game is, is destruction. And when you look up the Greek word for that, it means to absolutely destroy something. It means to have lost, to lose. It, it almost talks about the game is over, the whistle has gone, you have lost. It, it speaks of you being in a place where there is no opportunity for redemption, there is no chance of comeback, you have left your run too late, it's finished, it's over, and you're on the wrong side. That's his ultimate goal, to get you to that place where there's no hope, it's completely finished, you are out of the game, you're off. Um, but the two words before that are the two steps that he, he makes before he gets to that place. So it says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That word thief actually means embezzler. Now that's a completely different thing because an embezzler is someone who sidles up alongside you, who's with you for a long period of time, and they rip you off slowly, 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 and they take large amounts of money, in some cases all of your savings, and you've got no idea that it's missing. Um, the word steal is from the Greek word klepto, which is where we get our word kleptomaniac from, and it means to take by stealth. So when you connect take by stealth with the word embezzler, you see the Bible's not talking about him stealing something from him that you're aware of. It's talking about, uh, and it's not, a, it's not like one day it's there, one day it's gone. It's he comes back, he takes a piece, he leaves. He comes back, he takes another piece, he leaves. He comes back, he takes another piece, he leaves. You don't know that it's happening. The next word, kill, this is even weirder. It means, it's a Greek word that literally means to sacrifice something and then the word kill is to blow on the flame to make it hotter. That's what the word kill means. So again, it's a picture of someone being on a spit, kind of spun around, and the devil leaning in and just going to just heat it up a little bit more. Heat and it turn you a bit more. It's a slow, slow process that, again, you don't know is happening. You know how you kill a, how you boil a frog in a lobster, eh? If you bring a pot of water to the boil and you chuck a frog in or a lobster, it goes, eek, and it jumps out because it knows that you're trying to hurt it. But if you stick it in a pot of warm water and you slowly bring it to the boil, you will cook it alive and it will stay in there and die because it does not know that it's being slowly destroyed. When the Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, it's not talking about an aggressive, in-your-face strategy. It's talking about an embezzler that comes to take by stealth, to breathe on a sacrificial fire that slowly warms up over time. And if he does his job properly, you end up totally and completely demolished, and you had no idea it was happening. It's a long process. It's not a week or a month, but it's years. It's a lifetime. It's just a slowly, piece by piece by piece. And I think that one of the key ways that he does it is he brings busyness into our lives. He brings busyness in, and he tells you that, you know, it's okay to be busy because everyone else is busy. And busy is successful. You're doing well if you're busy. But it's not true. Do you know what the truth is? The truth is that there is always enough time in your day to do everything that God wants you to do. That's the truth. 
There's always enough time in the day to do everything that God wants you to do. Because God knows, you know, God's not going to be like, oh, I gave you a list of things to do and I forgot you're on earth, not on Mars, and your day is only 23 hours and 56 minutes, my bad. He's not going to do that. Like, he knows what you're capable of and he knows how long you've got to do it. So if you find yourself consistently feeling like you've missed things off that you really should have done, you know, I'm talking like for my life, speaking for me, not for you, but speaking for me, if I find that I'm consistently, day after day, not finding time to read my Bible or not finding time to spend meaningful one-on-one time with God, then I know that I'm, there's things in my day that I'm not supposed to be doing or that I'm prioritizing wrong because there's always enough time in my day to do everything that God wants me to do. And I believe that God wants me to spend time with Him regularly, to spend time in His Word regularly. So... That's what I'm dealing with at the moment. I'm dealing with busyness. I'm dealing with potentially having my priorities a little bit warped. I've shifted my thinking a little bit or a lot, and I'm working on it. I think Liz is super stoked with how I came back after the conference because I've been super attentive. Um, Not like, you know, kitchen attentive, but um, super attentive. Um, And uh, I'm determined that moving forward uh, that I'm going to have my priorities in the right place. So if that speaks to any one of you, then great, use it. Um, what's been really helpful for me is the prioritizing what I can do and only I can do first. And then, you know, if stuff falls off the bottom, it doesn't matter. And also becoming aware that I was associating busyness with success. And in fact, it's the opposite. And then lastly, being aware too that just because I'm not seeing anything obvious come against me doesn't mean that something isn't chipping away in the background. <laughs>